Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short-run podcast exploring every Midnight Oil album in the run-up to their 2017 Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the coming months, I'll be spinning every Midnight Oil studio album from my comfortable couch, as well as taking a listen to some of their EPs, live recordings, and video releases. Joining me each episode is my longtime friend and fellow Midnight Oil enthusiast, Robin Harbrin. How are you doing this evening, Mr. Harbrin? Very well, Mr. Folds. How is your throat doing? I am recovered. Strep throat is not fun. No. But antibiotics are pretty amazing. And here I am. That's great. Robin, we've just been listening to the second Midnight Oil album, 1979's Head Injuries. What do you think we're going to be talking about on the podcast tonight? I think we'll be talking about how the band has progressed from the previous album, Yep. Uh, how they addressed some of the criticisms of the earlier one. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll take a focus at Andrew Bear James, original Midnight Oil bassist, right on. as this is his last album. That sounds like a good plan, so let's get going. So before we begin talking about head injuries, maybe we can briefly touch upon what's been happening since the Blue Meanie in 1978, a year ago. What sort of things might have been going on with the band or happening in the world that's been influencing them as they set about to prepare for head injuries? They continued to do the pub rock scene. Yep. In the North Sydney beaches, Still as the area is known. up and down. Yep. And uh, some more tours. They took out a loan uh, during this time. That that actually may have started with the Blue Meanie, but okay. they were they're paying off their loan. Yep. And, uh, so they're, they're working hard. Working hard. They're still hard. these working, salt of the earth, rock it out kind of guys. They are. Yeah. That's right. So that's what they would have been doing. And Darren, earlier you're talking about War, politics, money. Describe the album in five words. War, politics, money, and surfing. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff happening in the 70s. On the Blue album, we had kind of more, I think, that we were seeing a lot of just coming to grips with um, the pressures of becoming an adult and things that are going on. Songs were more inward looking. Exactly, yeah. And so I think in this album, we see a little bit more of a focus on things that are happening in the world around them. So... Um, in the in the seventies, economically things weren't fantastic. There's a stock market crash uh, in in the early to mid seventies. There's the oil crisis going on. Um, in the UK, they had the winter of discontent, mm-hmm. where um, uh, the unions were lots of strikes going on with the unions. The Labour government fell, and we had the rise of of Margaret Thatcher's conservatives. There were wars and rumors of war going on throughout the world. We've got wars happening in East Africa where Ethiopia was bringing in uh, Cuban soldiers to fight a war mm. with Somalia. Um, we've got the Soviets stockpiling their nuclear missiles as well. And actually, in the period between 78 and 79, the amount of nukes that they have actually surpasses that even the United States. That's a lot. So, you know, you've got that fear of nuclear war kind of happening in, in the Western world. So I think that we see a lot of these kind of things making their way into the into the music. What was happening on the global scene as far as music goes that you're aware of, Robin? Well, you mentioned uh, disco. Oh, yeah. Disco uh, was happening. Disco was happening, and Midnight Oil was not <laughs> disco. Oh, I wish I could remember what it was, but I, I heard uh, I was listening through one of their old live uh, recordings, yeah. And oh man, Peter went on this nasty rant, like this vile rant 
against the disco man and he brought this token disco guy up and was berating him in front of the crowd and stuff <laughs> like that. It was a lot of fun. If I, if I can find out where that is, I'll put that in the show notes. Right on. Yeah. Keith Moon of The Who yeah. uh, dies. And now, what's what's The Who connection with uh, Midnight Oil? Well, they, they started off, Rob Hurst, Peter Garrett, huge fans of The Who. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on, uh, they actually got to open for The Who. That's uh, going forward to after uh, Glenn Johns records okay. Place Without a Postcard. Okay, so this is in the uh, so that, 81 Yeah, this is era. going forward to 81. Yeah. But anyway, they, The Who just were, were a big influence. Yep. Uh, Midnight Oil guys were big fans of The Who. Let's talk about... Uh... Our, our favorite bassist at the time, yeah, Andrew Bear James. Andrew Bear James. So, uh, yeah, and Andrew, as we were talking about last episode, uh, Andrew Bear James and uh, Jim Magini were just good high school buddies, both really into music. Andrew grew up. Uh, it sounds like a very kind of church kind of family. Okay. He was playing the euphonium, which is like a small tuba, okay. but usually given melodic parts to play. Really? Yeah. The melodious the tuba. Melodious. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Andrew was a real music nerd and he was playing around with tape, uh, recording oh, yeah. himself, doing guitar okay. and tapes and yep. even doing an early version of multi-tracking. Yeah. Right um, and then high school, he really got into the bass guitar. Uh, he loved the sound and he was listening to all the great bassists at the time. He got Paul McCartney, the Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, other bands with great bassists like Led Zeppelin, Cream. Yeah. Mm. From those kind of guys and the Motown acts, uh, James oh, yeah. Jamerson, who's uh super great. Okay. At that time, unsung uh, in was, Motown. Would he be like a studio player? Yeah. And he was a studio musician, James Jamerson. And, uh. Uh, he was rarely credited and paid poorly, but he would, he was the guy playing bass on almost all those records coming out of Motown during that time. Right it was fantastic. And Paul McCartney was listening to it. Like mm-hmm. all, all the great bassists were hearing what was happening out of Motown. And it was almost all this one guy who nobody knew at the time. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, shortly before his death started to get some notoriety. So, so Andrew throws away the piccolo tuba. Picks up the bass <laughs> yeah. and starts emulating. Well, not emulating, but starts being influenced by these guys. Did you start playing with Jim at this point? That's right. Uh, he's been playing with Jim, and that's when Schwampy Moose started mm-hmm. with uh, Jim and Rob. Yeah. And for a while, it was uh, they became basically a power trio. Yeah. They're listening to King Crimson, and they're listening to Yes. Right so that's where those prog rock yeah. uh, influences start coming. Uh, 73 was when they started touring and, uh, again, so Andrew just stuck with it, but he wasn't really built for this rock and roll life mentally, just that kind of, uh, I can imagine what like a roadhouse show would be like and the intensity and the in your facedness and the rawness of it all. Yeah. The the, the drunkenness and the the debauchery, all that going on (laughs) and maybe coming from a church background, you know, this is not something that you easily slip into. Yeah, it was hard for him to be comfortable there, I yeah. think. But he was playing fantastic bass lines mm-hmm. and through both the Blue Album, but especially on Head Injuries, he's got fantastic playing uh, that would become uh, very influential on Peter Gifford's, maybe not directly influential on his style, 
but some of these head injury songs kept sure. getting played yeah, uh, through the years. Peter's got to play these bass lines, and uh, and and they hold up really well. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, after head injuries, they record head injuries, but Andrew was just feeling sick, I guess, depressed, couldn't get out of bed kind of stuff, and well, ended up just quitting the band. Like you were telling us last time, too, like they every show that they played seemed like the best show they ever played because they yeah. put so much energy into it. So if you didn't have the stamina... yeah. And, and to even to support him, Peter Gifford, tough guy, yeah. carpenter, and like uh, yeah. lots of Midnight Oil fans, just uh, Giffo's their favorite bassist, the second bassist. Mm-hmm. Uh, even he retired sick, basically, yeah. uh, after just the life of touring and uh, keeping at it. So yeah, for sure. Definitely not trying to put Andrew James down there with that, that but just trying to understand well, what's yeah, that, going that, into I guess it. that's why I'm saying that rather than putting Andrew James down. Uh, it's just like ev- even Giffo yeah. couldn't hold up under it uh, for, for all that So long. all you guys out there who say that Giffo's <laughs> the best Midnight Oil bassist ever, well, look what happened to him too. Yeah. <laughs> P.S. I might agree with you. <laughs> Bones, I love you. And if I get to see you in Toronto, I want to shake your hand. Yep. You're fantastic. We love you, Bones. Uh, Bones is the one who survived it all, all the, yeah, another 15 right. years after. Totally. So, um but anyway, we can talk more about other bassists, but sure. we want to give Bear his due. Indeed. He wrote a bunch of great bass lines mm-hmm. and uh, and was just a, a huge influence on the early oils. Without him, wouldn't have happened. That is quite possibly true. So thank you, Andrew Bear James. Yep. Everyone, there we go. Good job. We love you, Bear. Yep. So, Robin, is there any business arising from last episode of the podcast? There was some confusion about who we are. Yes. I'm confused. Well, apparently we sounded like Americans, like Yanks. (sighs) There's your sigh of the episode. That's right. (laughs) But in fact, we are Canadian. Mm Mm-hmm. We both live in a place called Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, it's not anywhere near any place that you'd know. No, it's right about in the middle of Canada, yep. north of Minnesota. If we want to go see the oils, we have traveled eight hours to Winnipeg to see them. West, eight hours west to Winnipeg. Six hours south to Minneapolis. Seven. Seven. Um, actually, we did get to see them. The oils played Thunder Bay in 93. Amazingly. A fantastic tour with the Tragically Hip. Yep. Amazingly, Dandelion Midnight Noir. Oil came to our town. And we left after their set. <laughs> yeah, we were there to see the oils. Forget Daniel Lanois and the Tragically Hip. That's right. Uh, well, probably in a future episode, we can talk about the hip a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I, I think important. we're both, yeah now, oh, yeah, now we're much bigger fans than we yeah. were. But in 93, Midnight Oil was in Thunder Bay. And that's what we were there for. Oh, yeah. And then now we're going to be traveling. Uh, we're taking a plane to Toronto to yeah. see them this summer. If we were going to drive, that would be like a 17-hour drive at least. Yep, it's like 15, 1,600 kilometers yep. on 90-kilometer-an-hour roads. So everything you don't want to know about two guys you in now, Nowhere, Canada. You now know that we're in Nowhere, Canada. Who love the oils. Yeah. Um, something else I'd like to bring up from last episode is, well, just as a result of some things that I said last episode, I am just so impressed with Rob Hurst's right foot. <laughs> he can make that right foot do exactly what he wants and exactly the right thing all the time. I cannot praise his right foot enough. Yes. And I'll leave it at that. 
you, you were concerned about, you had criticisms about just one thing he's ever recorded in his life. Okay, this is this is what happened. I'm yeah. walking around listening to Run By Night over and over for a few weeks, and it's like, those are kick drum mistakes. They're, they're just a little bit off, aren't they? I'm not crazy, am I? And, yeah. and I, I go online, and yeah, there are other people who hear that too. And so, okay, I guess I'm not crazy, and I don't want to disparage i i don't want to say bad things about it but we want to be honest as we're yeah. as we're taking a look at the stuff so i mention it and i'm editing the episode together and it's like i'm having a real hard time finding these kick mistakes that i was talking about all over the place in the album yeah well i've i've heard them too yeah and yeah and other people have heard them but this doesn't mean that rob Hurst is a bad drummer this means no. that once he made a couple little mistakes out of the hundreds. Exactly. Of, yeah. And you know what? It's not his fault that they made <laughs> no. it onto the album. It's whoever was doing that It's the part. Pr- production and so on. Yeah. 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 Like the guys didn't hear it, whatever. So as we tend to do, we like to divide our discussion of the album into a couple different sections. First, we're going to take an overview look of the entire album and talk about the overall sound, the lyrical content, the musical themes, and how the album flows. And then after that, we'll take a closer look at some of the songs on the album, talk about our favorites, and then maybe take them apart a little bit. And by way of reminder, here's what Head Injury sounds like. Everything's fine. You just gotta stand in line. Everything's fine. You just gotta stand in line. 
So before we get into what it makes us think about, how's it sound to you? One of the things that we mentioned right at the beginning was um, progression in, in album recording. We've got this really intense live experience. They try to capture it in the Blue Meanie, and maybe they didn't capture it as well as they wanted to. How about head injuries? How does that hold up? Yeah, I don't know if they wanted to capture their live experience but with maybe their first that's album. People were expecting. But people were wanting that. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah, maybe they didn't think of that. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I think there was a more overt effort to capture more of that. So we hear more screams on this. We hear uh Peter Garrett screams yeah. <laughs> and then yells and so on. Um I think we hear there's a bigger production. I think the drums sound bigger, the bass sounds thicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garrett's vocals are, everything sounds a bit more, everything sounds bigger oh, yeah. on this album. Yeah, for sure. Right from the, from the get go. Yeah. Like... And the, there's, I think generally a bit higher intensity to the album. Mm. Uh, it still certainly has all the, those prog rock kind of changes of moods and slower downbeat songs. But yep. I think overall there's, there's some songs that are just flat out rockers that never slow down. Yep. Uh, I think that's deliberate. Yeah, one thing that I noticed right off the hop was it does sound like it has a more processed sound. Like the Blue Album, to me, sounded like, yeah, these are just five guys just giving it in a studio. Just recording what they're playing. Mics to the amps, here we go. Whereas um, right from the beginning um, in Cold Cold Change, I can hear a lot more of a processed sound coming through the vocals and the guitars. I agree with you that the drums sound a lot more full. I found that overall the album didn't step it up as far as a live intensity kind of thing, if that's what they were trying to capture. The album is about the same length, and while most of the songs are up-tempo songs, when I was listening to it, I wasn't thinking, oh man, this is like this big live sound. They've really got it now. In some cases, I was thinking, well, Maybe it, it doesn't even sound as intense as the Blue Meanie did. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't sound more live. That's the thing. Like, sure, it, maybe know, that's it. There was a discussion on the powder, shout out to the Powder Workers uh, yeah. Facebook group. Uh, we we're discussing what, what's the most live sounding album. And really, th- this is, isn't it. Besides the actual uh, Scream and Blue, mm-hmm. of course, that is their, it's a live old, album. That's their yeah. official live album. The other ones that sound most live to me are the EPs and even I put my vote for the real thing, which is a much later album, which is kind of like an EP and an unplugged acoustic album kind of glued together. Sure. Those are the ones that sound to me most live, most like the live band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and having done my very best to not listen to things Beyond 1979, I, I will agree with you because I know that you've done your homework. Hmm. Yeah. I read a quote from Peter Garrett, and he says, By the time we got to head injuries, the band had been completely transformed. And what he was talking about was the progression from being this prog pop band needing to be that more hard-edged um punky sounding stuff to play for the live crowds so he's talking about transforming from from that sound which they as musicians they were drawn to to more of an energy power rock band by the time they hit head injuries maybe less punky more rocky i think this album has more hooks um more melodious fun things to do Uh, we were talking last episode about the sameness 
musicality. Yes. There's yeah. a lot more variety of oh, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's uh, both well, the Blue Album felt very much like these. This is the sound I get out of my amp. This yeah. is the sound these drums make yep. when record yep. with microphones. Yeah, they're all the songs have the same kind of textures to them mostly. Yes. So I, I find it more interesting in that each song has uh, that much more personality. How do you find the album flowing from song to song? I like how it has ups and downs. Uh, I really love an album that goes fast, slow, fast, slow, not necessarily alternate songs, but yeah. but has kind of these abs. Yeah, it takes me on a journey and uh, Head Injuries uh, is a step towards that where uh place without postcard even more so but yeah, yeah. I, I could feel it more in the blue album than i can feel it in head injuries hmm. um head injuries is a great album to walk to it's got a lot of solid up-tempo numbers nothing until you get to is it now that gets me really pumping when i listen to head injuries i don't hear the ups and downs and the, and the taking me here and there as much as i did on the blue album to me they're all high mid-tempo songs I see. Okay, I, yeah. I didn't notice as much. Yeah, of, uh, I don't think I'm as, as sensitive to tempo as you are. You're the drummer. For me, what really changes is like Naked Flame. The tempo may be very steady. Yes. But Naked Flame's like oh, a very big mood. departure with yeah. mood. And yeah. uh, and there's that sense. How do you describe it? If you have tempo and then it's almost like you have pace or uh, <laughs> I don't know how, how to describe it. Yeah. You bring up a really good point is there's a lot of time changes even though the beats per minute may stay relatively constant yeah. there's a lot of really interesting time changes happening in this album yeah. maybe i didn't notice them as much in the blue album but i definitely noticed lots of really fun stuff going on here a number of the songs go back and forth between a 4-4 type beat and a 2-4 type beat which may not come across as as a big change to some listeners but to me, this is like, oh, this is a lot of fun. Like you're cutting things in half. And as a drummer, it's like, oh, we're, we're going into double time here, even though we're keeping the tempo itself the same. Right. So a lot of really fun stuff doing that, even with similar beats. And then you get some really crazy stuff happening in the later half of the album with odd time signatures changing all throughout the song. Yeah. Lots of really fun stuff happening rhythmically in this album. Something we were talking about last episode was how many guitar solos there were. The first album has more guitar solos than songs. Right. So that's kind of peak guitar solo. Yeah. But I thought it dropped off more rapidly. Like I, I didn't think Head Injuries had nearly as many guitar solos as it actually does when I went through oh, yeah. to identify them. It's still slightly less, and they're more concise. And there may be some disagreement between... Here's here's just a riff or a turnaround versus a guitar solo. And I thought I was hearing them all over the place in this album, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, the, the, this album definitely has lots of guitar solos. <laughs> <laughs> On Head Injuries, lyrically, yep, I like their lyrical move towards uh, storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of storytelling in songs. Yep. That starts here, even if it's just kind of um, these kind of snapshots of places, describing places and people yep. and really setting the mood, uh, even if you're not sure who it is and the story doesn't necessarily uh, progress, 
but it's still like a narrative in that you're you're setting the scene. Totally. I found that listening to it, I was certain that they were talking about specific things, even though I didn't know necessarily what they were. And it wasn't necessary for me to understand exactly what they were talking about to, to pick up on the, on the pictures, the stories that they are telling through the lyrics. You know, I had some hunches and I, and I did some digging and either I confirmed or I managed to shoehorn what I thought I was hearing into their <laughs> lyrics. Good. Um, I think Is It Now, they did a great job of setting a mood by not so much telling a story, but by painting those word pictures and giving you snippets of, of things and the feelings and apprehensions and They've done it in a number of the songs, and I think they did a really good job of that. Yeah, so rather than it being story-based, it, it's, uh, well, it's literary, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, yep. Um, yep. Yeah. it's giving you some words to evoke some feelings or something that you may know that you can tie in quickly, like some broader thing that you can tie in quickly by just giving you this shorthand lyric. That, to me, is an improvement over the Blue album. Once I spent some time with the lyrics and satisfied myself that I understood what they were talking about. (laughs) I found it to be a very satisfying album lyrically. So when I listen to head injuries, I hear cold, cold change as an anti nuke song. I hear bus to Bondi as a money song and a surfing song. I hear the naked flame as a politics of the right song. And then we get a couple more, the more, the internal personal conflict maturation type songs with back on the borderline and koala sprint. Then you flip over to side two and you've got politics in no reaction. You've got money and politics and stand in line. You've got war money and politics and profiteers. <laughs> and is it now is more war and politics. And what you get with this album, or at least what I get with this album, is this almost oppressive feeling of other people are in control of my life or I'm I'm angry at people who are apathetic to this kind of thing and don't want to get involved with making a difference and changing things. There's this really satisfying release at the end of the album, not so much positively like I thought was happening in the Blue Album, but just asking the question, you know, is it coming to this at this point? And I know that we're going to end up talking about this more later, so I won't get into it, but as far as lyrics go, I find that this album is quite cohesive, very satisfying, and it has a really neat resolution. Hey, we wanted to send out a big thank you to everyone who is listening to the podcast. It's been a big encouragement to read all the thoughtful and kind comments that have been sent our way, and it is a great incentive for us to keep the episodes rolling out. So we invite you to get in touch with us. We're on the Twitters at Darren the Folds. Yes, there is a you in Folds. And at Robin Harbron, that's H-A-R-B-R-O-N. Show notes are online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. Of course, you can subscribe to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Owl podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And if you are so inclined, rating and reviewing the podcast is super helpful. Thanks.
back to comfortable place on the couch in that old podcast. Robin and I are talking about 1979's head injuries tonight. And this is the part of the podcast where I get to ask Robin about the bottom end. The bottom end. Mr. Harbin, you are among many things a talented bass player. What has stood out to you in head injuries when you think about the bottom end? There's lots of great bass playing on this album. It's Bear's Farewell to Midnight Oil. Yeah. I guess they've been talking about trying to get uh, this a driving, aggressive sound uh, that Giffo is probably most famous for, the mm-hmm. second bassist. But uh, I, I see it in spades on this album. Yeah. All kinds of great driving bass. Oh, yeah. So the top two songs would be Section 5, Bust to Bondi, or yep. the first of two. Yep. Um, yeah, lots of great bass riffs. Uh, there's these fantastic fills. That, there's one uh, in the first minute of the song. And another... A couple minutes later. Yeah, that is is that the the fun turnaround coming out of the chorus? And then near the very end of the song, there's this fantastic. Oh yeah, that weird effect. Yeah, it's like the ba- the song stops, and then uh, he gets to just do this big. Uh, it sounds like he slaps the string real yeah. hard or yeah. whatever. <laughs> Interestingly, when Giffo joins the band. I don't know if you couldn't replicate that or he just thought it was funny or whatever. But when that moment comes, he just strums the entire bass, like open strings. Oh, yeah. Just goes. Wow. Yeah. All four, dis- you know. Just, yeah. So that's that's his solution to doing that. <laughs> the bass line that's going on under the verses is really interesting, too. It's it, it drops down. The guitars are doing this fast riff thing on top of it, mm-hmm. and they're very tight with the bass. Section 5, Busta Bondi, great bass work there. And then the total classic is Stand in Line. Yeah. And again, this is... Giffo became famous for playing Stand in Line live. And Bones was actually infamous for not, apparently not being able to play Stand in Line. So they just dropped it from the set. <laughs> the not Bones fans. Yes. Uh, use this disparagingly to oh. shut down Bones. So back to the point. Yes. Is that Stand in Line became Giffo's uh, trademark during yep. a live show. Yep. But it was Bear who wrote that bass line. Ah, well, of course, yeah. Fun turnaround, big unison turnaround at the end of that song. That the, it's almost like the bass line is kind of being played, and everyone kind of joins in on that. Yeah, let's all do this together. Yeah. Also in Stand in Line, the bass and the drums, this is one of two songs where it seems like bass and drums really hold things down for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Peter's doing the thing, and so yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a few moments on the album where it says bass and drums, yep. and uh, and then Garrett singing on top. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, those are my two bass picks anyway. So, if I if I had to press you to name the one favorite bass line solo bit what would it be? If I can have the fill from section five <laughs> yeah, and then the, the baseline from stand in line, uh, that, that'd be my pick for actual baseline. 
There I, you go. I, I did that last time too. Mr. Harbin not making a decision. Be, well, best <laughs> best riff yeah. and best bass, bass line. Very good. Yeah. As you've been listening to Head Injuries, yep. what did you find to be the best Rob Hurst moment in the recording? Yeah, just like you. I had a hard time picking out one thing that I liked. There, there's. I don't think we have to pick one thing. No, I guess it's we our don't. Because there's a lot of things that have a lot of drum fun going on. Back on the Borderline has lots of drum turnarounds. And this is the song where they let the drummer end the song. When you listen to it, it's like, oh, that's the whole band playing the end of the song. Well, yeah, it is. But for a drummer, that feels like, yeah, I'm the drummer and I'm leading us all to the end here. No reaction was neat to me, too, because um, it's a real Tom heavy type song. Um, and it really kind of, you know, you just get that, that thundery, booming kind of sound. A lot of power behind it that sometimes you don't get with, with a lot of cymbal work. And I think I noticed that in Rob's playing because I play cymbals all the time. When I'm playing, it's I'm either on the hats or I'm on the ride. And rarely do I not play those things. And when, I, when I'm playing a song where I'm not playing yeah, just playing around on the toms, I really enjoy it. And so hearing uh, Rob do that in No Reaction is like, oh, yeah, this is so good. This is, drummers should do more of this. No reaction. can't not talk about profiteers because profiteers just has so many crazy different time signatures happening. Yes. they start out the song with a five four beat and they quickly turn it into i count 11 beats in a unit with this and for those who who wouldn't know um odd numbered time signatures are a vi- in western music are a very unnatural kind of thing to do just about all the time we're doing uh four four and two four you get the waltz with the three three four or six eight or the six eight it's very unconventional in western music and so it's really especially in rock oh yeah totally so this is where you're getting assuredly you're getting this from their prog influences jethro tull and yes and but yeah so profiteers lots of fun at the beginning then it goes into this um two four kind of thing um it's it's like a march it's one two it's a left right left right type thing going on and then again something you might not notice because it it flows so naturally it goes into a four four beat at that point and then the ending of the song switches back and forth between a three four and a two four and then back to a three four so lots of crazy fun stuff going on something that i did want to mention in conjunction with profiteers is rob has a drill cadet background Mm mm-hmm military marching and playing drums type thing so i was wondering oh i wonder if if that's where this kind of stuff was coming from and actually the first time i listened through the album this time through yeah we're not done with profiteers yet apparently and we're still talking about (laughs) drumming and profit not just i have to have everything done in like no just your one favorite be (laughs) quiet and now i'm going to talk about four songs (laughs) and one of them and i'm going to talk about this one for 10 minutes (laughs) so the first time i was listening through the song not remembering what it was about i'm thinking oh this is kind of like a marchy kind of song oh it's profiteers yeah of course it is you know and so it's it's fun to see them picking musical elements that fit thematically with the lyrical content of their songs as well Mm -hmm. yeah lots of fun but that's not my favorite (laughs) there's more there's more 
Oh, and I didn't even talk about the doomsday clock tick-tock tick-tock type thing happening up in mm. Naked Flame. I was wanting to talk. I was finally, when you were finally done talking about all this. Okay, let's talk about I want about to talk about later. the tick-tock. Okay, um, let me just say that talked for hours about these songs that aren't my favorite drum bits. I think my favorite drum bit actually is in Is It Now? It seems like it's just like this Tom Phil happening at the end of uh, of the chorus there. You know, you've got a big build up to it and then, yeah, this is the moment to shine. It's not a drum solo, but it's just this nice big fill across all the toms. And I watched um, the Melbourne Showgrounds live version of this mm-hmm. and, and Rob steals a couple extra bars in that version of it <laughs> just to keep it going. It's really lots and lots of fun. Naked Flame? Yeah, Naked Flame. TikTok. TikTok. That TikTok TikTok. intro. Yes. What's up with that? What's he doing? I think he's just got two wood blocks. Two wood blocks. Each with a different pitch. Yep. TikTok. TikTok. Naked Flame, this is the Margaret Thatcher song. And and part of this is the whole, um, the doomsday clock for folks who might not know, is the symbolic representation of how close the world is getting to oh, nuclear it war. Just got updated yet again, eh? Did it really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, closer. Yeah. Okay. So no doubt, you know, when um, Margaret Thatcher comes to power, um, folks are thinking, oh man, we're progressing down this this road to war again. And so, you know, the doomsday clock gets set forward a little bit more. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm just reading into it, but you got this tick tock, tick tock of a clock yeah, kind of leading definitely into it. Definitely could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, weird things going on percussion wise though. Other weird things, koala sprint. Tell us about more drum stuff, Darren. (laughs) Well, this isn't drums. This This is is percussion. This is something that should have been removed from koala sprint. Okay. Do you know what it is? Mm. The chimes. The happy poppy let's go surfing part of the song. It starts with this run of the chimes. Under the summer, summer suns. Yeah. 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 And you know, the, yeah. the first couple times I heard it, it's like, oh, I actually wrote in my notes, fairy chimes <laughs> equals puke. <laughs> it's not nearly as bad to me now as, as the first couple listens. Yeah. It's mildly cringeworthy. What, what else I, would they have done? Yeah. I don't yeah. know, maybe a strum on the guitar or something. That, that would be That would be have nicer. been preferable. Yeah. Yeah. One of my old bands, the drummer had his chime set and he lovingly stored it away in this wood box and yeah. it, it was like this big production every time it's like oh gotta get the chimes out and it was like this ordeal like 10 minutes of setup i didn't even want the chimes I was like, <laughs> who wants but, the chimes yeah, really but, oh he he loves the chimes I, can you imagine the oils going to some roadhouse and pulling out the box of chimes yeah. so they can play koala sprint and then his kit getting destroyed. There, there, surely there were other ways to play this song. I love and hate Koala Sprint. Mm-hmm. Again, the first time listening through this with a bum, 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 yeah. bum, 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 Which we later saw in like uh, 1098, for example. There's some yeah. of that kind of. Is, is that outside world? Yeah. Is that keyboard or is that bass? I would suspect it's a keyboard. 
Yeah. Anyway, when I heard that, and maybe like, not even played by a dude, but played by a computer. Yes. Well, it or could be. Yeah. Some sort of delay knob. So again, first time listening through, it's like, oh yeah, I love this stuff. I'm glad they are playing this stuff now because I I was looking forward to this. Koala Sprint starts great, moody, atmospheric. And then it kind of gets a little bit, you know, energy pop, energy rocky kind of thing. And then it does this. That strange ending to Koala Sprint, not the outro. No, like the Where is Brisbane bit? Yeah. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Koala Sprint's a bizarre song where it's got that pulsy intro. Then it's got this long instrumental, mm-hmm. and then it's got the big scream, yeah. and then the big guitar solo, yeah. and then it goes off into this totally different song. Yeah, the, the, it's, the, it's, it's a gr- new... You get this great song. And then it's got the big, long, slow outro, which yeah. is a whole nother song. Yeah, it is somewhat reminiscent of the intro. It's almost like a three songs in one type thing. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a really cool futuristic intro you've got a neat energy rock song and then you've got the summery sunshiny surfy bit so love it and hate it mostly love it yeah what songs do you love hey am i supposed to choose this one song now no talk Uh, talk about songs you love yeah i think along with the the two songs i highlighted on bass Mm -hmm. are also my favorite songs section five busta bondi and stand in line yep uh stand in line I especially love how, okay, so there's this bass line that becomes kind of like the theme of the song. Yep. Then this long guitar solo starts. Yeah. But the bass just goes to a simple holding down. Yep. Holding down the beat, the way you think bassists should play, right? <laughs> play that root note. <laughs> and play wrap it. a towel around it. Yep. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's how I, no, that's how I play bass when that's I have you, to play bass. You've told me to play bass that way sometimes. Well, some songs. But yeah, some, some songs, songs deserve need that. It. That's yeah. right. Sometimes you should just exactly, and sometimes drummers should just play the kick, beat. snare, kick, snare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, that's that's right. So it's interesting that the solo starts, even though the bass has done all this inventive stuff earlier on. Then it just kind of holds things down while the guitar solo yep. starts. Yep. Then that bass theme comes back in again yep. under it, and it builds and it builds and it builds. And then and then then it cuts, and there's the whisper. Yes. Everything's set. Everything's fine. We'll let we'll put Peter in doing that. Everything's set. Everything's fine. You've just gotta stand in line. And then the scream. Yeah. The scream is fantastic, but it's that build up. And and that is a great example of the oils doing dynamics really well yeah. on this album. Let's go back to Naked Flame because because yeah. you want to talk about it. It's got such a mood to it. Yep. I never heard the Oils do a song so so moody. Uh, those hippie background vocals. And and I was I was listening to them thinking you know this is like a Jeff Lynne ELO type thing, yeah. tight harmony. Especially because last album, the blue album, there wasn't a lot of harmony at all. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that was a complaint. Maybe that's they're trying to address 
Yep. With with a bit of this. If I was to say that Naked Flame is the runner up to my favorite song, my favorite song would definitely be Is It Now. I think Is It Now is is a song that you get everything that you want from an oils song. It's a song that does a really good job of giving you those lyrics that start your brain thinking about moods and pictures and stories that you know like when I hear the beginning of the song I'm thinking Central American dictator or East African dictator kind of out there um, it's got the whole feeling of you're not safe there are forces out there making decisions for you the world is out of control musically you've got um, fun guitar stuff happening again with kind of like the arpeggios going on and then the other um, kind of getting this chop chop you've got the building snare to the big tom fill happening in this song you get a scream you got a good scream. You get a great scream. And then the last whole minute of the song is just kind of like this building up and building up type thing. If there's one thing that I would, though, comment on that I wish they would have done differently is this is a fade out ending song. And the song just has so much power. It, it just kind of seems to lose a little bit of it as you just kind of drifts off. And I think I mentioned earlier that I've listened to a, a live version of this one and they do end it. They end it, and they do a good job of ending it. A good fade-out ending, a live fade-out ending. A, they do a live, proper ending. Let's end the song. Boom. Song's done. The way songs should end. I Yeah. I understand some moody songs that you might want to end with a fade, but this isn't a moody song. Like you can even hear like more guitar solos happening um, as the thing is, is fading oh, out. That's a classic thing. Leave you wanting more. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's what it's doing. What I want more is just a big cymbal crash. At the end. <laughs> yeah. And that would be great. But yeah, I love, is it now? I think it's asking the question, is this the end is, are all these issues of, you know, the cold war and nukes and politics conspiring against us building up, you know, is this the end of everything? Maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but it just works for me. And I really, really love Is It Now. I like Is It Now a lot. Yeah. It sounds so much like Place Without a Postcard. To me, it really foreshadows it lyrically and musically. And one of the fun things about this album is like we talked about um, that, that keyboard pulsing type thing happening in Koala Sprint that reminds us of something from... 1098 yeah from 1098 um you've got you've got stand in line feeling to you like it belongs in place without a postcard you listen to no reaction pete pulls out the harmonica he's reaching forward 11 years and pulling that straight out of blue sky mine that's right doesn't it sound to you just like not only that it could fit into Blue Sky Mine, but doesn't it sound just like the harmonica in Blue Sky Mine? Very similar. Yeah. So it's interesting that Peter Garrett, like he's he's a good harp player. Oh, yeah. Being a good harmonica player isn't, everybody can just make the noise just by blowing through the thing. Honking and blowing. Yeah, honking and blowing. <laughs> Do 
So it's fun to me to hear things that I recognize from future albums. And so I'm hearing the oils and I'm hearing what they're going to be doing in the coming years. So that's really interesting yeah, in this album. That, that's right. So this, this album, there's so much more variety going on, whether it's instrumentation, arrangement, lyrically. I think we see foreshadows of so many things that yeah. the oils do later on. And while I may not agree with them, you hear folks saying, this is the album that Midnight Oil starts to sound like Midnight Oil. And maybe some of these things that we're hearing now, um, maybe just the more attention to the instrumentation and the variety as compared to the Blue Album is what people are hearing. Yeah, there's more variety in guitar tones, in the keyboard solos, vocal effects, yep. uh, even percussion-wise, as, we, as we've talked about, unfortunately, yeah. even sometimes. <laughs> uh, there's, there's just a lot more variety here. Yeah, it's a good album. So, final thoughts on the album. I forgot to mention Jim's crazy keyboard solo uh, in Section 5, Busta Bondi. Yeah. I'd like to know more about, like, what kind of keyboard is that? Yep. Uh, it's, it's all this, like... This wall of warbly, of warbly noise. Yes. Yeah. It's and one of those, how did they do it? I really like it type moments. Yeah. Well, and back then it wasn't so easy to do a lot of these effects. Now we're just in Pro Tools or Logic Pro yeah. or whatever. You click a button and there and, you go. And there's your crazy effect. Yeah. So the whole world's there. Back then it's like, no, it's on tape. And now you got to do all this stuff with it to, to get a new sound out of it. Yeah. So final thoughts on the album as far as. You loved it, you hated it, goes. Oh, I love every album, so I'm never going to... What am I going to say? Well, here, let me let me t give you my take on it, and yeah. then you can tell me what you think. I decided, okay, I'm going to say that I don't like head injuries as much as I liked the Blue Album. Oh. And I knew that that was not going to be a popular opinion with folks. But I was just going to put it out there because... I didn't think that it was as much of a step forward as it should have been. Mm. But I wasn't happy with that. And then something clicked and I said, you know what? Head injuries fails on a couple points. I think when head injuries tries to be the live band experience that maybe the blue album was trying to be, I don't think it achieves that. I don't think it's got that raw energy that the blue album had. But where it does shine, where Head Injuries is not trying to be the Blue Album, when it's trying to be Midnight Oil now and in the future, it does a really good job of it. Hmm. So I got to the place where I was happy saying, you know what, I do like Head Injuries better than the Blue Meanie because when it is not being the Blue Meanie, it is doing a great job of being Midnight Oil now and showing us where we're going to go in the future. And a lot of the stuff that I really like about Midnight Oil, I like a lot of the moodier atmospheric stuff. Mm. I love Is It Now because there's so much power to it. Yes, that's my favorite song on the album, and that, but it's got mood and stuff to it as well. I like koala sprint the way it begins and the way that it ends i like the naked flame because of all the the fun musical stuff that it does and head injuries i think does that so much better than the blue album did yeah i've listened to all these albums for so long yeah that it's hard for me basically impossible for me to really compare them yeah you haven't 
taken time off from Mineroa like I have either. Yeah. So you don't have the benefit of distance that mm. I have. In some ways, this is all brand new to me. As soon as I hear it, it all comes back. But I have to hear it for that moment for it to come back. And so right. I get that. I get those brief minutes of brand newness that you yeah. probably aren't getting. Yeah. No, that said, if I had to just choose, if it was like, you can only choose one album. Yeah. Desert Island or yep. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I'd choose head injuries over. You know what we should do? Let's do this. Yeah. Every episode, when we come to the Vote end. somebody off. Well, here's the thing. You, you presume with the first episode that you are given the blue meanie. Do you want to keep it? And we would say, yes, we want to keep the blue meanie. Well, at the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Episode two comes along. You're given head injuries. You can keep head injuries or you can keep the blue meanie. What right. are you going to keep? Okay. I will keep head injuries. I, I will th- yeah, I will. Yeah. Yep. I will keep head injuries as well. Okay. Quite happy to this do This is so. a fair way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Very good. What are we going to end up with at the end? That will be fun. Yes. It'll be fun to see. Yeah. It's not a very fair way to do things. No, not at all. But it, it'll be entertaining. And with that, it's time to retract the stylus, slide the vinyl back into its sleeve, and say goodnight until next time, when we will be listening to the oil's extended play, Bird Noises, from 1980. Bird schnozzes. On Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Oil podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to Comfortable Place on the Couch wherever you find good podcasts. And you can get in touch with us on the Twitter at Darren the Folds and Robin Harbin. Show notes are online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. So for Robin Harbin, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night.